This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now, as Christians, we believe that God's Word is more than just a document or a text. It is God's Word given to us Himself, alive, breathing, and able to give us life and transform us. So we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 today. And uh, we'll be inviting up Sister Joanna to read the scripture for us. So Sister Joanna, please. Okay. Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Today's passage will be taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had caught together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod caught the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joanna, for reading today's passage, and a very good afternoon to everyone. It's always a joy to be here, and uh, it's great to see Joyce here today. Um, and we remember your husband, who is stuck at home with COVID. Um, but it's great to see everyone. Do um, say hi to each other later on. I hope you have your Bible with you. If you do, uh, can you turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12 with me? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Now we are in the Advent time, and this is uh, one week before Christmas. And um, today's passage will be one that you're familiar with, but I want to invite you to Look at the passage with me and see that there are so much that God has for us. So why don't we ask God to help us as we pray and ask Him to uh, speak to us. Oh dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, so thankful to You for Christmas because Christmas reminds us that You loved us. For all genealogies, for all generations, we have turned away from You and again and again and again, but yet... On Christmas, you remind us that you still love us and you want us back as your children. So, Father, this afternoon we pray that you will speak to us through your word. 
Pray, God, as we open your word, that you will bring our hearts back to you. Some of us had a very busy week with all kinds of things happening. We just ask, God, that your spirit draws our minds here so we may understand your word and so may we can respond rightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when I was a kid, Christmas plays was the, were the in things in church. I don't know if you had experience. They were in things. Every year we replay Christmas carols and events again and again. And every year, without fail, I'll get to be a shepherd or one of the three wise men. Never angels, because the ladies all want to be angels. And only once in my acting career, I was Joseph, when the most handsome and popular guy was away from church. That's my Christmas. Now the vibe during Christmas plays and Christmas was always warm, fuzzy, and just nice because after the Christmas play, we will have buffets and we'll be eating and getting presents and we just enjoy Christmas. We really like retelling the Christmas story. But never once did we ever ask if there were really three kingly wise men and not a hundred. And anyway, what were these foreigners doing right smack in the Bible, right at the start of the New Testament? What were these 12 verses about with these foreigners coming into the Jewish historical story of Christmas? Now, last two Sundays, we looked at Matthew 1. I hope uh, if you're here, you will remember. We learned that Jesus was born king for the despised. We learned that even the best among heroes like Judah and King David, they sin against God and God's people. In fact, they sin in very terrible ways. We saw how the genealogy of Jesus were plagued with shameful stories we wish that we can sweep it under the carpet and never talk about them. And if you and I are really sober, we'll see that actually this is true for every person's genealogy, for you and for me, that in our history of genealogies, of family line, there will be stories that are shameful. There will be things that we wish never happened. When we listen to eulogies at funerals, you know, if you've been to funerals, we always hear the best things of the person. But if you're honest, the reality is because we all sin, that the eulogies should have mentioned all the terrible things we have done. As well, because that is the true reflection of our lives. Because the reality is that everyone's sin and even the best amongst us, because sin and wrongs are part of our human nature. So in Matthew 1, the last two weeks, we also saw the necessity that someone divine will come and deal with our sins. We learned from Pastor Andrew Ong last week that Jesus came as the divine king for the rebels, that Jesus was the king born to save his people from sins. No, his name was Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He was born not like every other sinful man, but he was born, as we were reminded last week, that he was born and conceived from the Holy Spirit. He was one born of God to save us people who have turned away from God. So that was what we have last week. And today as we come to Matthew 2, we come to the arrival of this Magi. And we're going to see how Jesus is king not merely for the Jews, but for our divided world. And so as we begin this morning with Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 2, this is what scripture says. Let me read it to you as you look at it together. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. Now today's passage begins with two kings. Jesus born King of the Jews. His kingship was promised by God. And we have Herod made King of the Jews that his kingship was assigned by the Roman emperor. So two kings, Jesus the king was born during the time of Herod the king. Both can be known as the king of the Jews. But if you notice verse 2, Matthew tells us this. He actually says Jesus was not born to be a future king. Maybe after Herod, Jesus was born king. At birth, he was born king. So according to God, the throne has been empty. And when Jesus was born, he was already the king and throne there. Even a star was above his bed to mark his kingship. Now, as the Magi studied the stars, uh, they come to realize this king is coming. So they traveled from the east and they arrived and they stopped following the stars and went most naturally to the capital, to Jerusalem. You know, you just imagine he has been following stars for months and weeks. And finally, when they reached the capital of Jerusalem, all the lights were everywhere and they stopped looking at the star and they go to the most natural place, the palace. They look for the king and they say, we want to worship the newborn king. So they went to seek audience with King Herod, historically known as Herod the Great. Herod was a great man. He was a great builder. He was the guy who built the temple. He was a very capable man, very paranoid, extremely ruthless. Now, I just want to invite you as you listen to this familiar story to actually pause here and ask this question. Who exactly are the Magi from the East? No, one of the songs we hear all the time during Christmas is this famous carol, We Three Kings of Orient. Anyone knows the song? Anyone knows the song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The young ones, you haven't heard it. Uh, first service, everyone was, uh, was raising their hand. You know, this carol is so familiar, people never read the, the lyrics. They, they sing the lyrics. When you hear the lyrics come out, you, you don't just read, We Three Kings of All You, We Three Kings. No, the tune comes out, right? So this is what it says, right? We Three Kings of Oriana, bearing gifts, we traverse afar, field and fountain, more, what's more? More is a open, uncultivated land. Fields and fountains, more and mountains, falling yonder star. And if you have a quiet church last time, everyone will be swinging left, right, and then go, Oh, stars of wonder, stars of night, stars with royal beauty bright. And the song goes on. You know what? This song, if you have enjoyed it in the past, it has so many winds. I love this song. It's got great tune. The later verses were fantastic. But this first paragraph... It's probably wrong. Because here's the real story. Those who travel from afar are most unlikely to be kings. The Bible recorded them as magi or wise men. Now, magi are not the usual wise men you think about when you think of wise. Because in ancient places like Babylon and Persia, magis were probably referring to those with professions such as astrology, sorcery, enchantry, 
magic. No, in, in the word magicians you have now, it's taken from the Greek root word of magos. Right, so wise men. So they are magicians capable of doing great things. They would be people who practice all the occults, all the magics, all the secret arts, the interpretation of dreams. And in fact, we have read about them in the Old Testament. So Old Testament speaks about the Magis in Babylon. In the book of Daniel, there are plenty of verses, but I just want to give you one passage. This guy called Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, and let me just read from you for you, Daniel 4, 4-6. This is uh, his own words. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. So what happened? When the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and told him the dream. Now, dear friends, if you understand the Old Testament, when it speaks about magis, you have to help us acknowledge that the Karawi three kings are probably wrong. They are not kings. They were advisors of ancient pagan kings. Meanwhile, the word Orient might confuse us to think perhaps Chinese from China have traveled all the way to you know, visit um, the king. Being Chinese, you like to imagine maybe it's from China, right? That's far, how far away. It's probably wrong as well because we are better off to keep to the words Magi from the East. And here's the thing. Magi from the East, it could well be actually referring to places like Babylon and Persia. And if that's the case, that the Magi is actually are from in the area of Babylon and Persia, what we are actually reading in Matthew 2 is telling us that this finally marks the end of the Jewish exile. Let me tell you why I say that. Because even those who represented the Babylonians, the Persians who used to rule over the Jews, have done a reversal. Now they have come to worship the Jewish king. A reversal happens. The Gentiles have come to worship God's promised king of the Jews. Which means that when you say the king of the Jews, is not just the king for the Jews, but he is also the king of the Jews that the world will see and know God and come to him. So this Magi from the East, it's better off we leave it as Magi from the East. But what is more shocking if you are following this weird two ver- 12 verses with foreigners there, is this, this Magis, whose very vocation involves occultic practice, practices, they will actually be condemned sinners if they were to come to a Jewish king who holds on to Mosaic laws. By coming to worship the king of the Jews, this Magi would have acknowledged that they were sinners before God, they have sinned, and they have opposed God in their lives. Now, finally, we are told that they presented three gifts to King Jesus. And, and it works really well if you are in a Christmas play. You have three kings walking there. Because, you know, if you have four kings, right, that fourth king or fourth wise man will be that awkward child on, on Christmas Day with no presents. 
There are three, three wise men carrying presents, and a fourth one, the hand in the pocket, just walking around, you know, reaching the, 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 the manger, which is not a manger because Jesus would have been one or two years old, uh, and, and just have nothing else. So, perfectly great in a, in a Christmas play to be three, but it's probably not three. Probably not three lonely old men on camels. It could well be a huge convoy that shakes the whole of Jerusalem when they arrive. Now, I hope I've not ruined one of your favorite Christmas carols. I still love it, especially the later verses. But as I invite us to come back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, we should be amazed how this Magi, they have traveled this long journey from the east to Jerusalem to seek audience with a king not from their own country. But can you also imagine King Herod? Imagine this convoy in the middle of the night, huge number of people, maybe not even camels, probably horses, arriving at the doorstep of the palace, knocking there and wanting to see the newborn king. If you are Herod, this is no laughing matter because this king has a star and he doesn't. So while this convoy appeared, they were not Jews, so they were beyond Herod's jurisdiction. So he is furious, but he cannot do anything to these people because it's not three old men. It's, it's a whole convoy of delegates from elsewhere, and he cannot do anything. This is what he does instead. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, it's worth noting, Matthew didn't say the king was disturbed, but all Jerusalem were disturbed about news of another king. Why would they have been aware? Because it was not just three quiet people coming to the, to the palace. It would have been this huge disruption of foreigners coming in. And they also hear about the news that they were here looking for the king. Perhaps as they come in, they will be asking, where's the palace? We're here to see the newborn king. So here we have King Herod. He, he was disturbed and he decided... I'm going to get my own magos, all my magos, all my wise men, which will not be astrologers because you're in Jerusalem, but you'll be all the religious leaders. I'm going to get all my magos, all my wise men and experts, those with knowledge of God's secret things. And like King Nebuchadnezzar, not a single one is going to miss. All of you come and interpret this event for me. And so verse 4, we read this. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of all, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And guess what? They all knew. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. It's almost, if, if you're playing a game, this will be how it is. The king said, where is the Messiah? And everyone's like, I know the answer, because they all knew the prophecies. So it's interesting that even Herod, who was not a Jew, knew about a promised Messiah, anointed king. It's a well-known prophecy. When he was involved in building the temple, they knew that the temple was meant for a king from God. But guess what? This was shockingly apparent for the chief priest and the teacher of law. They knew the answer. And they could almost reply in unison. And this is what they said. Um, as they recount the prophecy in verse 5 and 6, if you have your Bible, look at it. He said this, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means these among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now this is a prophecy the religious already knew, now King Herod and now 
the whole Jerusalem. But a shocking revelation actually comes here. For these Gentile Magi sinners are coming to worship the King of the Jews, the Jews themselves, the capital, the people closest to the temple of God, they would not respond to the knowledge review. They had a prophecy, they didn't know when, but now the Magi came and say the time has come. And they did nothing. The king is just a stone throw away, but no one seek the king from Jerusalem. Their loyalty was with Herod and their religious lifestyle. Perhaps they think, no, it's not wise to cross, double cross Herod the ruthless, so they just stay indifferent. And so the bad news is this, dear friends, that religiosity must not be mistaken as loyalty to God. Let me say that again. Religiosity, being religious, is not to be mistaken as loyalty to God. So going to God's temple religiously, the religious people did not mean that they were going after God's king. For no one seeks after God's king when it was announced. The same then applies to us. That looking religious, if we adopt some Christian calendar, we get involved in serving and various things involving in community does not naturally equate to seeking God. When you say God, you want to do that, but doing that does not mean naturally that you are or I am seeking God. So here it is. Religiosity must not be mistaken as loyalty to God. And this is bad news. But of course, the Bible has a great news for us, and this is what it is, that the influence of God's king had gone way beyond the Jews right into the world at the point where Jesus was born that Gentile sinners like this Magi from the East, Gentiles would travel to worship God's king. So we see here there are two kings, but there are two loyalties. King Jesus, the first worshippers were Gentiles. King Herod, the followers were the Jewish religious elites and people closest to the temple. Now, King Jesus was born in a divided world, but his rich reaches the end as hinted by the Magi. In fact, this is how Matthew concludes the book of Matthew. So if you're Matthew, you can flip to that famous last few verses that we always read at missions. But really, that was the book end of this start when the Magi appeared. Out of nowhere, foreigners appeared in the Christmas story. And this is the passage at the end of Matthew 28. You're familiar with it, but let me read to you in light of what the Magi has done right at the start. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It didn't start there. It started when the Magi appeared that this was the rule of the king. No, friends, the story of Christmas is about King Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But really, it is a story about you and me. It's the story about us and our divided world. That our loyalties have been divided. That was what Herod, the religious, and the Magi represented. But now as we move on the story, this is what it goes on. Matthew wants us to also notice. 
and be clear that Jesus did not appear randomly out of nowhere. We read the verses. In fact, Matthew 1 last week, again, last two weeks, reminded us he came from the promised lineage of Abraham, of King David. Matthew told us Jesus came from God by the Holy Spirit. And now here in Matthew 2, the geographical location of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and the East set the stage that he is the king for this vastly divided world. And verse 6 gave us God's prophecy about his king. Now friends, here's the thing about New Testament prophecies. When you read a New Testament prophecy, it's always worth noting that if it's taken as a prophecy from Old Testament, it's always worth going back to Old Testament because that was the intention. Like if you're a Jew and a part of the Old Testament is quoted to you, you're meant to realize, ah, this is what it is all about in the Old Testament. So since we are not Jews, I'm going to bring us back to the Old Testament where part of it was being quoted by the religious leaders. But let me read that portion for us. I'm just going to read also part of it, two verses, verse 2, verse 4 of Micah chapter 5. And we'll find more details about this king. So let me read this to you. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, it goes on, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Verse 4 in Micah 5. He will stand and shepherd his flock. He goes on, they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Do you notice, if you look at the Old Testament, what the prophet is saying about God's promised king? It turns out that God's king not only comes from Bethlehem and is a ruler of God's people, as you see in the blues, which is in Matthew 2.6, but he's more than that. Look at the red words. Yes, he's a newborn king, but he's a king of ancient origins. Yes, he's the ruler of Israel, yet his flaw and influence reaches the ends of the earth. No, God's king is not new or limited. He is ancient and he is universal. So that was what is being brought up as they say about this king who was born in Bethlehem. Now, with regards to this king, there are many other Old Testament passages we can look at, but I just want to point to you two, two passages from Psalms. I'm not going to look at the passage itself. I'm going to explain it to you. One of the Psalms is Psalm 72. Psalm 72 was written by King David. After he knew God's prophecy, he wrote this Psalm for his son Solomon, but really it's for that future king. So this is Solomon's prayer from Psalm 72 after he knew about the gifts that God has given him. And he, he wrote and he said, This king... After him will rule as long as the moon and the sun. His rule will continue to the ends of the earth. How all kings and nations will eventually bow to God's king. And we catch that phrase when the magi appear, these foreigners appear out of nowhere when Jesus was born. People who used to suppress the Jews now come to worship her king. Another passage just now you have read it. Uh, together, some to, some to describe how this king will rule as God's son. In vain will kings like Herod try to plot against God's Messiah, but blessings come to those like the Magi who would kiss the son, that is to bow and worship the king. So because there is one God and his promise, one king, he will ultimately rule over just one kingdom. 
And that's the key purpose of God, not to add one king among many kings, but that one king rules and supersedes all other kings. So if you have your Bible, if you actually flip to chapter 3, that's exactly how it happens that 30 years after this, God sent a messenger, John, and he said, the kingdom of God has come near because God's one king has come. So there will be a new kingdom. So in the prophecy of Matthew 2 verse 6, it is really a declaration to all of God's earlier prophecies that there is one God who sends one king and there will be one kingdom in this divided world. One king to rule the world. Now as you follow with me and we arrive at the verse 7 onwards, the plot thickens as we begin to see that the king of heaven and the kingdom of heaven doesn't arrive easily because there is this deep division of loyalties to God and to his king. And this is actually, Matthew 2 is a call for us to consider our loyalty and to decide that we need to take sides. So look at verse 7 with me if you have your Bible open. Verse 7. <coughs> that Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. They sent him to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, history tells us Herod the Great is a very, very shrewd and suspicious man. He spoke secretly to Magi who did not know his nature. He asked for the exact time of the star so that he can actually calculate how old is this kid. And Jesus, the, the Christmas card is probably wrong. It's probably not in the manger anymore because it says that he's a child, probably one to two year old, still living in Bethlehem. Maybe dad has found a job there. Now, Herod can't force the Magi to report to him because it's a convoy, it's not three old men. He can't send soldiers because it sounds dubious. And so he speaks to the Magi like, we are saying, we are together. He says, find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, while the religious people, they were happy in their religious bubbles and indifferent to the arrival of God's king, it was actually not so for Herod. Herod was worried. No, if Jesus, if he didn't, if Herod didn't think Jesus was real, if he didn't think Jesus was born and he actually could be king, if Herod didn't think this small child might have the power to overthrow the greatest king there, he would not have done anything. In fact, later on, Matthew tells us that he murdered all the children under, 12, under two in Bethlehem because he was so worried. So Jesus was a real threat for Herod and to everyone who is serious about power. So if Jesus was king of the Jews, then Herod was not the king of the Jews. If Jesus is the king of all nations, then you and I are not the king or queen of our lives. There is an acknowledgement and surrender if Jesus is king. Now, dear friends, if we recognize Jesus as king, we actually have to recognize that we are sinners because Matthew 3 actually works this way. Just now we told you that John came. And this is what John said as he thought about the kingdom of heaven. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So repent, turning back to God, worshipping his king. That is part of what it means when you say that the king has come. 
And that was what Herod would never do. So it was all a lie when he said to the Magi, I too may go and worship him. Dear friends, brothers and sisters, here's the reality. Now Christmas is not a nice bedtime story. Yesterday evening, we managed to put up a Christmas tree. And I know we're kind of really late, but we just put it up there because it's in our storeroom and we didn't want to put it there without opening up. So we, we put a Christmas tree there. But you know what? Christmas is not a nice bedtime story or a nice Christmas play with nice carols. Christmas is actually a confronting and conflicting declaration of kingship. Christmas is actually here to call the world to choose sides. The day the world have to choose sides, the day the king was born. So the question is, do we see Jesus as king or do we see Jesus as a threat to our own rule? I believe the latter is actually our natural preference. That is, Jesus is actually a threat. That is actually our most natural preference. Now, in our human nature, we see Jesus as a threat to our own rule over our own lives. It's only by God's mercy that he will ever, we will ever be able to turn back to him to open our eyes to see that our rebellion will end in a horrendous judgment and death. That we'll be separated from the giver of life, the sustainer of our being, the provider of all things good and eternal. Only by God's mercy that we can see the eternal and the um, perfection of the kingdom of God. That ours is not. Now, some of us may, may think differently to say, you know what, I, I, I'm not opposing Jesus, I'm just being indifferent, I'm just being neutral. Have you had friends like that, or perhaps we are? I'm, I'm not against Jesus, I'm just neutral. But can I say this? That is totally illogical. Neutral is not logical. Being indifferent is not being neutral. If you are following today's 12 verses, if you follow a religious leader, their indifference turns out to be their allegiance to the world, to acknowledge that the herald of this world is their king, so that they can enjoy their own power in their own circle. For the religious leader, they continue to go to the temple, herald built supposedly for God to exercise their power and to enjoy their comfort, to enjoy the power within their little circles and the reality is, it's the same for you and I, all of us. Whether our circle of power is personal, it's just my preferences, we want to do whatever we like, we are not hurting other people, we just do whatever we like. But the reality is, we can only do whatever we like by rejecting a God who says you can't do everything you like. By defining our own pleasures, we choose not to accept God's King. And we choose to reject him to have a say in our lives. So we can choose the right opposition like King Herod. Eventually murders people, including children. Or we can choose an indirect opposition like Jerusalem. And the religious leaders by not going to the circle of power. Both at the root of it involves the rejection of God and his king. But now, the third option is actually the key of this whole verse because that's what Matthew really wants us to, talk, to think about with the arrival of the Magis. This is what it is that the third option is what the Magi choose. The third option is to find 
such joy in the king that they will bow down and worship him. They will lay before God's king their treasures. And so let me read Matthew 2, 10, 11 on screen for us. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, the Magi took this long journey, months of journey, with no vision inside except a little star to point them and follow. They were not Jews. They had no promises from God. They had no idea if the king would receive them, but they sought him. And when they finally did, verse 10 tells us, I think English didn't put it as excitingly as it is. Verse 10 actually tells us that they were excitingly and exceedingly joyful. No, what excited them were not the fancy stuff that Herod could offer. In fact, they have it, why come to this king? What excited them were not praises for their religious effort. Ah, oh, such a good effort you've traveled here because they were sinners. Now friends, here's the thing. I want you to think with me. Imagine you or, and I, we commit a crime. Maybe we commit a crime together. The last place we want to go is where? Police station. You don't want to go to the police station. You don't want to go to court. The, the last place you want to go is the police station. And if you end up at the police station, the last thing you expect is, whoa, so nice that you come. Ah, good job. In some sense, this is similar to what is happening here. The Magi coming to the king. No, when we sin, you and I, when we sin and oppose God, we actually want to run and hide as far away from God as we can. We do not go to God and think that we're going to get praised. Like Adam and Eve, like our first parents in our whole genealogy, we want to hide from God. But here the Magi, they run towards God's king with sin still on their back. Their joy, they have great joy here. Their joy could only be possible if they actually had a hope that the king that they bend their knees to is not only a good king, a powerful king, but a willing king to receive them and to save them. No, they were not ignorant of what the Jews have because if the exiles have been there, we, 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 we did Esther just a few weeks ago. That they, were, they had Jews around them. They knew about Jews. And if you're looking for a Jewish king, you know that the Jewish king holds on to God's law and they were condemned death, sinners who are condemned for death. But here they come because they believe perhaps that coming to the king, they are, the weight of their sins could be removed. The past loyalties can be changed. So it was with joy that the Magi worshipped Jesus, presented him with all the valuables to them. Not that the king who owns the brightest star actually needs any more glittering star. But yet they bring with their joy because they are excited and they know only possible by faith these few things that it is a joy to worship God's king. It is a relief for burdens of sin to be removed. There is a kingdom that is beyond us that, Herod, that this king can give us. So, you know, dear friends, God's eternal plan at the first Christmas and today is actually the same. It is actually to announce to our divided world that there is a king from heaven and to bring his perfect kingdom in and to draw those who are willing to bow and worship and kiss the Son. No, dear friends, at the first Christmas, 
the Magi represented hope for a deeply divided world of sinners. Our world, your world and my world. Now, if you have the Gospel of Matthew flipping and you carry on the story, you will see the continuation of the Magis. You have sinful prostitutes, you have Gentile adulterers, you have greedy tax collectors, you have unclean lepers, you have rejected soldiers. You have all kinds of people coming to Jesus, calling him Lord and Savior. And the story of Matthew here, right, uh, with the Magi, is actually the first call that you and I joined them that we join them to worship Jesus, the good and powerful King. Like the past sinners before us, we can look to Jesus to save us and forgive us from our past, our present, our future sin. Not like the past sinners, we can hope in Jesus for eternal life and the joy in the kingdom of heaven. So dear friends, how will you and I respond this Christmas? Because it's not a fuzzy day. It's a day of confrontation where we have to choose sides. How will we respond to Jesus this Christmas? How will we respond to God's King? So as we wrap up today's passage uh, in verse 12, verse 12 ends off telling us beautifully where true power rests. Because you want to be where true power rests. And it's not on earthly kings, but we've got... Look at verse 12 in your Bible. Let me read it for us. Verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. No, while, while Herod plans to overthrow God's king with all his schemes and all his plans, some two regimes being played out. That the king and throne in heaven just laugh at Herod, thinking that he's going to overthrow God. And so it happens the Magi won a dream. The whole convoy just turn and head home, rejoicing. Rejoicing to have received and saw and bowed before the King, the eternal King. So as we close this time, as we look at Matthew 2, chapter, 1, chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, and we hear these foreign strangers that just you know, bookmark right in the middle of the Bible, it is actually a bookmark for you and me, for sinners like us, for Gentiles like us, who previously had no promises, but now are given an eternal promise. That if we bow down before the king, if we receive him and choose him to be our king, that he has chosen us to be of his kingdom. Let's close this time as we uh, thank God for Christmas again, as we prepare ourselves for another week where Christmas arrives. It's not just about the turkey or whatever we eat, but it's about the choice that God has done to send Jesus for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, our natural desires is to oppose your King. We do it so often because we want to hold on to our own kingship, to rule our own lives, to be our own gods. Father, we know truth does not equate to worship, but truth confronts us and only your Holy Spirit can help us to worship you. And so we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, your mercy will be upon us this Christmas to show us how frightening our end will be without Jesus, but how beautiful it is if our King forgives our sins and promises us eternal life. Father, we know it is only your Holy Spirit who has the power to turn our hearts to you, the power to strengthen our knees, to bow, 
and strengthen our voice to cry out to you. So please have mercy on us this Christmas. As we celebrate Christmas in seven days' time, help us not to rejoice just in songs about Santa Claus, but to rejoice that you love us enough that there is Christmas. Help us to hold on to this one King so that when he comes for us, he will hold on to our sinners, meet his people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, thank you, Pastor Andrew, for the sermon. Uh, we're now moving to the time of reflection and discussion. So uh, please take some time to discuss with your neighbors or anyone around you uh, the following two questions. Number one, uh, why was the world divided about the identity of Jesus? Why will this continue in our generation? And also, what does it mean to worship Jesus as our King? So let's take four or five minutes to discuss these questions and we'll come back uh, after this. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.